Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. All right, here we go. I said earlier in the week on my podcast, a man cannot live on a diet of talking about the whip, no runners in races in Britain and Frankie de Tori alone. So we've tried to spice it up a bit, but we will start with Frankie de Tori because there was more news this week, Lee, that he was going to extend it. Well, he might. I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to retire, not retire, extend beyond the Breeders' Cup? So Frankie is on this um, farewell tour the majority of which so far has taken place in California, based in Santa Anita. And I think it's very fair to say that up to now, it has been enormously successful. Frankie has been doing great things at Santa Anita, riding loads of winners. And very lucrative, I should think, as well. Very lucrative, yeah. Had a great day yesterday in Saudi Arabia. And speaking in Saudi um, this week, Nick, he uh, intimated that the, the, the common belief, based on what, Frankie and, and his team have said that they would end at the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. Might not necessarily be the case. Now, he was only talking about maybe nudging it three days on to the Melbourne Cup, which I know has got many of my uh, friends in Australia very excited indeed. Seems to me slightly unlikely because fewer and fewer internationals are running in the Melbourne Cup. It's not a place he's had enormous success in the past, and I think California would still be the obvious place. But in a wider sense, people have been saying, well, Actually, should Frankie be thinking about going on into next year as well? Yeah, he seemed to push that back he a little bit. He seemed to push it back, but... But one thing he has got a keen eye on is ticking off all these gaps, isn't yeah. he? So he doesn't want a Melbourne Cup. He doesn't want a July Cup, which he desperately wants. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he I know the Saudi Cup's very new, but he hadn't won that. And I think, even though he's won a ton of money last night, he really wanted that as a, you know, I've won the world's richest race, whatever. So... I sort of get it from a kind of emotional point of view as well as a as well as a, as a financial. Where where are you going to do when it comes? When where, where are you going to do your tour? I won't be doing a tour. <laughs> I think I'll just wake up one day and the, the weight battle will be just a little bit too much, and I'll think that'll do, that'll do me. Did you did you think Tom Skew did it did it the right way? Just woke up and said, right, I'm not falling like that again. Thanks. Do you know what? When when that happens, you know if you know it's I've had a lot of smashes throughout my career and. You know, fair play to him. You know, it was just, you know, unfortunately, just one fall too many. Right, let's talk about the Grand National weights a little bit more. What did you want to major on here, Lee? Um, two things, really. One, again, we had the... Um, we had Martin Greenwood, the, the, the official handicapper for the Grand National. Mm-hmm. He made some pretty strong comments uh, a few weeks ago about how the, the Grand National entries, the dominance of Irish entries over British entries, reflected the current state of the jumps industry in Britain and a few people, Dan Skelton was very vocal in, in, in expressing um, displeasure with how Martin had spoken about British jump racing uh, at that time. He didn't so much double down on his comments at the Grand National Weights lunch in Liverpool on Tuesday, but he didn't backtrack either. Mm. He, he stressed that the, the weights as they look now are very disappointing if you are a fan of British jump racing. The numbers here I've got here, Nick. Um, Ireland have 18 of the top 20, 30 of the top 20, of the top 41. There was a suggestion that based on the current numbers, uh, Team GB, if you like, can expect to have 10 to 12 of the 40 runners in the Grand National. Now, I don't think anybody could say that is a desirable situation to be in. Um, and it's a pretty grim picture, I think, if you, if, you, if you are a fan of British jump racing going in to the Grand National. Um, but having said that, it's not necessarily 
Britain against Ireland in these weights. It's Britain against Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott mm. because those two stables will have a huge percentage of the runs in the race. And we, we were going to talk about Ted Walsh. Yeah, so Ted wasn't, Ted wasn't happy with the weight allocated to to any second now. Right there, the and, top. and very few trainers with a horse with a big weight in the Grand National are ever happy with their weight. But should should we support his unhappiness or or is, has Martin Greenwood got this right? Well, I, th- I think um, the unhappiness there is linked to the fact that they don't see him as a grade one horse, whereas Noble Yates now would be billed as a grade one horse going into the Gold Cup and they're largely that they're on the sort of same position. Um, but having said that, if you look at any second now relative to Noble Yates in last year's Grand National, when I think he was giving him £12, that has been wiped out now. So he's yeah. pretty well handicapped compared to Noble Yates. And we shouldn't forget as well that when the handicapper is framing the Grand National weights, that entry factor is still factored into the weights. Even though to a lesser horses, degree. To a lesser degree, and understandably so, because as Daryl has made clear earlier on, the Grand National is a different race to the race that um, Phil Smith started handicapping when that entry factor was a big deal. And the point is, I can see on a sort of visceral level, mm-hmm. Ted sees a huge weight for this mm-hmm. horse and he says, I, this, I don't think this is a grade one horse. Yep. But the facts before the handicapper are that the horse has run to something like 170 yeah. in the Grand National last year he on a did. strict weights and measures. Yeah, 167 the time before. Yeah, 167 the time before. That, as you say, he's better off with Noble Yates, and yeah. the evidence that he's had on subsequently a hurdle race and a run in a Grade One chase, which was a kind of preparatory run. Can't really use that, can you? So, whilst you can understand the visceral response, what's on the page, I think, entitles the handicapper to do what he's done. Yeah, and in general terms, any handicapper will tell you in relation to any race, the more evidence they have before them in terms of runs in the book enables them to handicap a horse more accurately so if as with this instance with any second now you haven't actually got much fresh evidence to go on you have to base it on what you've got in the past i'd love to see the horse win though daryl yeah he's he's a lovely horse he goes around there doesn't he He skips around there and uh been a bit unlucky more than once as well well he has yeah but i mean uh, he's look he deserves to win it doesn't he he deserves to win one and uh you know he's he just seems to float around there, doesn't he? It'd be the Durham edition of the <laughs> of the, of the 2020s. Durham Always wanted edition. him to win, and he never quite did. No, no. Um, royal ownership. Might might the king and the queen consort have a runner in the Grand National one day? Not impossible. No, it's not impossible. No. Um, might have a Cheltenham winner. Yeah, they might. Um, and that 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 ha- jumping was what we associated the king and the queen consort with before the Prince of Wales became the king. And when that happened, Nick, when, when Her Majesty the Queen died, um, the royal horses passed into the ownership of the king and they raced in the name of the king and actually with considerable success um, in those first few months. It was announced this week that in future those royal horses will race in the name of His Majesty the King and Her Majesty the Queen Consort, which I think in many ways is logical. I don't think anybody would attempt to pretend that the King is anywhere near as interested in horse racing as his mother was. 
Um, he had some interest in the sport as an amateur jockey. There's almost no one who was as interested in racing well, no, as, the, absolutely as the Queen not, was. No. And the Queen Consort wouldn't be either, but she's much more interested than her husband. She loves horse racing. She's a genuine fan of, of horse racing. She might not have the Queen's detailed Especially knowledge. Especially jumping, I'd say. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so in future, those horses will race in the name of the King and the Queen Consort. And I thought one thing that was really interesting that John Warren, the Royal Racing Advisor, um, said this week was something he said to me when I spoke to him before the, the Queen's funeral last year, was that he said the great tragedy of, of this is that he thinks the Queen bred her best ever group of horses, that the horses going into training as two-year-olds and three-year-olds this year are probably the finest royal crop of horses she ever bred, um, and that he does anticipate huge success this year. And if there was huge success for the King and the Queen Consort on the track in 2023, and 2024, that'd be fantastic news for sport. Um, Her Majesty, the Queen Consort, uh, is just test positive for COVID, so ma'am, if you are watching, um, do get well soon. COVID positives, incidentally, are reported only in two places now, Daryl and, and Lee. Isn't one right? is out of Buckingham Palace, the other one, uh, our, our pro production gallery, where our, our producer still holds the record for most uh, most cases of COVID. How many times? In the, I mean, we're well into double figures now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Good effort. Blimey. I know, back to back. <laughs> he, could do a, he could do a Delta and an Omicron double in no time at all. God, you must be pleased to be out of that now in the weighing room, aren't you? Yeah, that was that was messy, wasn't it? It was boring. It was just so dull. I mean, just, you know, you love, you know, the crowds, the cheer and the buzz, uh, you know, the the electric of, of, of what um, race scores and all that brings to the, And just going around, like, riding races, and it was just... Total silence. Just total silence. Um, yeah, but I suppose um, you know we we have a, a good bit of a laugh during the races and stuff like that. So um, you know, at least with the noise and all that, people couldn't hear what we were saying. <laughs> um, Lee's a man who who's got his his hotline to to, to all the um, corridors of power, not hotline, just yeah. the, uh, His Majesty and Her Majesty, but also uh, the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Um, the yeah. racing racing did get quite a quite a, a chunky message from the Prime Minister this week. And it came as a surprise. Um, Nick, you were there. I was still flying back from Oz, but at the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards. York Racecourse Monday night. York Racecourse Monday night. Um, I believe, from what I heard, it began with a video message recorded by the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Well, it didn't. It began with a oh, recorded on. message from Ollie Bell, who clearly just came out of the gym. Right. And then one from... <laughs> so Ollie in the gym. <laughs> no well, chance. I said, I said it looked like you just come out of the gym, and he went, yeah, yeah, I just come, yeah, out, of the, I just come out of the gym. Did. Of course so. it did. So yeah. Ollie came before the Prime Minister. Well, Ollie first, and then um, it was sort of... Then Ed, Ed and AP. Ed and AP. They did a little thing together, little two-header. Yeah. And then he thought, well, that's that's as good as the celebrity count's going to get. And in comes in comes the prime minister. In comes Rishi. Yeah. Um, not who, Passad. No, not not Passad. Uh, Mr. Sunak. And I just I, I won't quote all of it, but he said, uh, Nick, tonight's finalists exemplify all that is best about British racing and breeding. An industry that does so much for communities across our country generates over four billion pounds for our economy and showcases Britain on the global stage. It was good to hear. Um, but, but that's not the most important bit of what he said. Go on. The most important bit of what he said, which I did think was well briefed or at least well intentioned, was that he then name checked Becky Smith who is one of his own constituents in Middleham, who was one of the finalists for one of the awards, and, of course, there'd been a Middleham winner of the, yeah. uh, of the, of the overall thing last week. I thought that was quite, that was quite good. Yeah, the, um, to be fair, I mean, the stable staff um, and everyone in, in the race, it's, it's, 
they do the job like Dickie summed it up I mean the job that they do is incredible you know the love the care that they have for them horses I mean us as jockeys you know we take a lot of passion from it but you know them the stable staff and stuff for that seven days a week Nick mm. they're in there six o'clock half five every month they're till seven o'clock in the evening time unbelievable and you were, you were saying earlier I thought that was quite sweet where they give you grief for going and yeah. going and messing their horses up <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but they do oh, they not just, him again he's coming into right pets, work yeah, yeah they're, they're pets and they, they you know their love for the horses I mean you know the beddings and they literally get five star treatment um, these race horses and like you say we'd be lost without um, the stable staff that we have and you know I'm delighted that they're, they're getting all the publicity that they deserve and more mind they should get they should get more you know even I'd love to see them at the race courses you know, the race courses you know really you know with every groom and all that that leads up, you know, a little bit more invested into them. I'd love to see that, you know, down along the line. And, and the interesting point here is that, um, you know, Sunak was making an interesting intervention. Okay, somebody had asked him to do it, but he was, and he made the, he didn't just say, yeah, good luck to all the stable staff. He made the point about the contribution of racing's workforce to to the overall economy, and this is important because as we move on to our next talking point and your latest surveys into affordability and so forth, yes. the sport wants to know that this government, however short its lifespan might now be until the next election, is going to do something to safeguard racing's financial future. And I'll come back to that point after we've done these numbers. There's no way I can remember all these numbers, so I've brought my, my tablet out. Yeah, the Racing Post uh, conducted a survey of readers, uh, 10,400 plus across Britain and Ireland, were asked questions about their gambling habits, and in particular in relation to affordability checks, which have been the hot topic for so long now. Um, some of the numbers here were that 16.6% of those 10,400 people said they had already been asked by their bookmakers to uh, submit themselves to affordability checks. 8.9% by one bookmaker, 7.7% by multiple bookmakers. 55.3% of those people declined to do that, and as a result of declining to do that, they wouldn't have been allowed to carry on uh, betting. Um, with some of the notable um, numbers too, Nick, 22.1% uh, said they were now considering using black market bookmakers and 66.3% said that their betting had decreased significantly as a result of uh, what's been going on in the last year or so. It's really important because we know we still haven't had the, the gambling uh, white paper. Uh, we do now have a sports minister in place, it seems, which will presumably be helpful. It's taken a long time to well, we name. Now, we now know that the gambling minister is, is also the sports it's minister, yeah. Probably, probably took a while because just everybody else had a good go at the job uh, already, and there aren't many left who haven't done it. Um, so really important. And just going back to Rishi Sunak's intervention, which is important, linked to this, linked mm. to the fact that we haven't had the review uh, yet, and we are hoping the government will look favourably on racing. My colleague Bill Barber wrote a really interesting article, uh, column in the Racing Post this week, in which he n stressed how positive it was that Rishi Sunak had intervened. However, it is with the opposition that racing should almost now be concentrating its interests. Um, if you look at the current polls, it is l seems to me long odds on yeah. that Sir Keir Starmer will be Prime Minister within two years. And if you look at the polls, there will be a huge Labour majority which won't necessarily delight everyone 
in the racing participant class. I mean, you, Nick, speaking at a ROA Awards uh, just before the last... Oh, yeah, on the, on do you remember that? And I said, I said the exit poll says there's going to be a Tory majority of 80, and the room erupted. Yeah, in and you, you, well, you, you also had the whole, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, they didn't join in with you. Yeah. Uh, racing <laughs> traditionally has not been um, a Labour-supporting sport, but there will almost certainly but be... But there have been plenty of Labour MPs who are massive racing fans. Huge fans, huge fans. And there will be, it looks almost certain, a, a big Labour majority government after the next election. Uh, Sir Keir Starmer would have been at Doncaster yeah. on St Ledger Day had the Queen not died uh, last year. He's, a, he's got interest in racing. Uh, I remember being at a, an all-party event before Christmas where uh, the culture secretary... you got a line into Keir as well. Nice man. Um, yeah. No, I haven't. No. He's, honestly, um, he's the best connected man in the sport. But yeah, th there will almost certainly will be a Labour government, and I don't think that racing should fear that in the way that it maybe has in the past. All right, let's talk about the ground at uh, at Cheltenham rather more rather more prosaically, but probably rather more importantly in the immediate uh, term. Um, Daryl John Pullen's been saying he's he's struggling with the with the dry spell, but at least. I thought it was warming up, but it was two degrees when I landed this morning, so yeah, it needs cold. to warm up a bit more, doesn't it, to yeah, get it was, some growth? The last, the last couple of days have been cold. I was in Nicky's yesterday morning. It was, yeah, it was cold. It was, it was one degree there when I went in there yesterday morning. Um, we've struggled really all, all winter with the ground, haven't we? What's um, it like now? I mean, what was Kempton like yesterday? Oh, to be fair, Barney does a great job. I, you know, the ground yesterday was... Was 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 on the slow side, good to soft. It was dead. He done, he done a great job. He always does mind. He's he's incredible. He does a really really good job. But it wasn't there. quick. You'd have run it any wasn't, horse. No there. no. You'd run any horse there yesterday. No problem at all. He he got it to to a T yesterday. Very very difficult. I'd hate to be. Um, I'd hate to be. I'd hate to do their job. Um, but you know, even at the you know coming back in at the start of the year, I remember like September October. It was all really. It was all quick ground right nearly mm -hmm. up and through until. Till sort of Christmas, and then we had that what two, three weeks where it just absolutely, bucketed down, yeah, yeah, bucketed down, and then it was heavy. But then it just dried out so so quickly. I mean, Nick was giving me the whole thing about the water tables. He was giving me a good lesson on the water tables and this and that and the other, and uh, he's very knowledgeable. But I was just like Nico, literally, that's just gone straight over my head. <laughs> but just just you know the crack in the banter that we have. But a lot of the race courses, to be fair, have struggled all all winter with the. Uh, with, with with the rain and the water and, and stuff like that. I mean, look at Newbury last weekend. Have you been in Nico's plunge pool yet? No. Um, no, no. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a plunge pool. No, he goes in this it's freezing just, cold water thing. It, it's, just, it's just Nico. Just Nico right. being Nico. That's basically yeah. what it is. Well, and what is but that? Just what, exactly, what is that? <laughs> 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 You've nailed it there, Nick. What is that? Well, he he's still in front of you for grade one winners. Yeah. Well, I have to sit beside him every Cheltenham, and I'm just like, well on Nico, well on Nico. <laughs> and I'm sitting beside him, and he's got the champagne left, right, and centre coming in. And he actually said, Would you like that as a consolation? A bottle oh. to me. Well, but yeah. You didn't take it, did you? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> but it was, oh, we have great fun, me and Nico. He's, he's, a, he's a gas man. Now, he'll have plenty of grade one winning opportunities uh, next month. You'll have. A good few, I'd say. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, one man who's just been given one is Hall Nolan, who's been part of the furniture at Philip Hobbs's for a while. It's soon to be Philip Hobbs's and uh, Johnson White's. And he's been given the run on Time Hill because Tom O'Brien's been injured. Get well soon, Tom. I know you wanted to say a little bit about this. Yeah, do you know what? Um, you know, in this day and age where, you know, 
uh, you know, you go back to you know my days with the boss and, and stuff like that. You know, loyalty. You know, the, the boss is Robert Orman. Yeah, um, just for, yeah, for those who um, and always will be. Always, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, it was always the yards when I came over, and even in Ireland when I started out in Ireland. You know, a yard had their their stable jockeys and their jockeys rode, and I know through the years that uh, all of that has changed. But you know, fair play to 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 Philip Hobbs and um, and his team down there. You know, he's always had, you know, Richard, Tom O'Brien, you know, and unfortunately Tom's got injured in this case, um, as well as James Bowen, you know, two high-profile class jockeys who got injured. You know, but the fact that, you know, Philip could have had, you know, any number of jockeys there, you know, from, from England or Ireland that, be you know, would love to, to, to ride him. And, you know, he, him and the owners have stuck by, you know, Michal, he's been down there for, you know, for so long, you know, he deserves his an opportunity to to shine on the big stage, and you know he's got a a great opportunity here, um, you know, and I know, and he's been you know cursed with injuries down to his uh, down to his career as well. He's had a lot of um, injuries breaking his back and stuff like that. So you know he deserves this, you know, and you know he, he was there at Kempton yesterday, and uh, you know he was pumped. He was really excited about you know getting the opportunity, you know, and I think he'll take this. Um, I think he'll take this opportunity, and um, but I just love the way Hobbsy straight away turned around and said, you know, unfortunately, Tom's not around, but you know, I've got a great, you know, I've got a great team of jockeys down here, and you know, I'm willing to support him, and uh, you know, all credit to to him and and to his owners. And he's got a chance as well, proper Grade One horse in a in a year where that particular division doesn't look particularly strong. Those were this week's talking points.